0: Everybody, good morning, good evening, Namaste, Hola, Bonjour, and Marhaban. This is Namya Joshi, your host for the day, and welcome to the episode number twenty-one of the podcast. Each one, teach ten, an amazing world of STEM, an inspiring venture where we'll be discussing that STEM is part of every day of every kid. We also will learn together how to build a STEM culture. So today, I am very honoured and excited to have Mr. Mark Spavel, who is Director of Education Marketing with Microsoft Seattle in USA. He's also a global award-winning educator and school leader with over 25 years of experience. So how are you doing, Mr. Mark?
1: That's a great question to start off with. I'm doing really well, Namya, and I'm delighted to be here, number 21, on the podcast series with you.
0: Thank you so much, sir. So, like, I'm sure our audience obviously knows about you and the great work that you're doing. But as our podcast, we have um, this ritual kind of thing that we ask the audience and we ask the uh, person who has joined us to introduce themselves. We would love to know about what other work that you're doing.
1: Lovely. Um, So, hi, everybody who's watching live or who's joining the podcast on demand. I'm Mark Sparble, I currently work in Microsoft education um, and I work in education marketing. Prior to that, I was, as was mentioned, a, a teacher and a principal working across Australia for over 25 years, and then working in a principal association across Southeast Asia and across all of Australia before I started working with Microsoft. I guess I've got a passion around where best practice teaching and next practice teaching comes together. I'm really interested around values education, ethics, emotional intelligence. They're the things that kind of get me excited. And I love it when things converge, like for this podcast, the convergence between STEM and SEL.
0: That's really inspiring from hearing from you. That what you're doing and how we can incorporate STEM with social and emotional learning. So my next, uh, my upcoming question is uh, somewhat related to that only. That students, uh, the students need soft skills and social emotional competencies to be the leaders and the team members of the 21st century, and uh, like the we can see that uh, the children are having a lot of growing in trust in STEM. So, how can these STEM activities be ideal for social emotional learning? Mm,
1: that's a great question, and you know it's interesting because there's a there's this kind of this this lovely um, pairing together between STEM and cell. When you think about it, we've traditionally in our minds kept them separate. We we talk about um, you know we talk about head and heart, like they're two separate things, um, you know, think with your head or think with your heart. And yet curiously, STEM and CELL show us that it's just one brain in action. There's no separation between, you know, the heart and the head. If we if we think about this sort of social and emotional learning, 21st century skills, leadership, uh, if we think about that topic, I think what's interesting is, is that big question about why does, why does it matter anyway? Like broadly, why do social and emotional skills matter for learners today and tomorrow as they enter, you know, the world of work, as they enter society? Um, and, you know, the social and emotional skills are developed through social and emotional learning. And they allow us to build the capacity to create relationships and sustain them with other people, which is super important regardless of your nature of your future work. They help us to manage ourselves. So to manage our thoughts and also to manage our behaviour when we're working with other people or engaging with other people, super important. They allow us to become self-aware, to understand what our own motivations are, to allow us to be clear about what, what are our strengths, what are our weaknesses. I mean, great attributes for a leader Great attributes for anyone, you know, without self-awareness, it's very challenging to self-regulate, which is the other part of uh, social and emotional learning. It also helps us to become socially aware. So how do we navigate others in social settings, whether it's informal at a dinner party or in the playground, whether it's a formal setting, I've come into an important meeting and I need to know how to conduct myself. Um also in a conflict situation, so where there is disagreement, um, where there is uncertainty, where there are opposing views and perspectives, being socially aware is really important too. And the biggest one is what, what should we do with all these social and emotional skills? Well, what should they allow us to do? They should allow us to make decisions. Take act. That's the act decisions which are ethical and which are which are responsible so we know with social and emotional skills the demand globally for them is super high um, we know that there's a you know there's a crisis around the mental health of youth there's no other way to put it you know in many countries us uk you know it's up to one in five uh, young people um, identifying with having um, a mental disorder of some form. In the UK, 50% of mental health issues are established by age 14 and 75% by 24. Yet in many situations, the identification of those challenges just isn't simply happening early enough and soon enough. But beyond that, social and emotional skills um, helps to maximise learner potential. At the same time, it minimises harm, it maximises potential, it it unlocks the goodness that people have inside them to be smarter and to be better with one another. Um, I like to think about the, when we think about the significance around, if we look at work, it forms part of the new future work skills agenda. So as we know over the years and over the decades, demand for physical labour, and manual tasks and repetitive tasks is decreasing. We know that demand for basic thinking skills, still important, but decreasing. And we know that increasing is the demand for higher thinking skills, creativity, synthesizing information. Um, We know there's an increase globally um, in the workforce for social and emotional skills with some researchers predicting between 30 to 50% of brand new jobs by 2030 will demand social and emotional skills. And of course, there's this massive, massive increase in the demand for the technical skills for the digital economy. So, you know, that that's kind of that case, if you like, around social and emotional skills. You've kind of, um, did you want me to talk about where that fits in with STEM or are you going to get to that question?
0: Well, I was actually asking that how STEM activities can be used for that.
1: Ah, well, that's perfect then. I've built the case for why social and emotional skills matter. So when we think about it, when we know how important that is, then the next question is, well, what's the best environment to turn that on? You know, what's the best, as I'm a teacher, what's the best kind of learning that's going to allow kids to develop those things I talked about, self-regulation, self-awareness, social, um, social awareness, making responsible decisions, STEM is. STEM is this kind of interesting, perfect match between the two. And as I said at the start, this idea of thinking with your head and thinking with your heart as separate things, you know, it, it is simply not true. We know that STEM skills exist in non-STEM jobs. Certainly they exist in in those easily identifiable STEM jobs, computer science, data ana- analytics, medical bioscience, all of those sorts of jobs. But STEM skills exist in all jobs now because all jobs are impacted by technology. So you know if you think about um, a job like He's a great name, Molecular Gastronomy. So these are, you might have seen them on TV shows. These are chefs who create these incredible, almost scientific dinners. Um, You know, they look incredible, they taste incredible, but there's this hard science behind them. A perfect example of STEM and the work in the food industry. And there's a, a thousand of them that require those STEM skills, statistics, problem solving, creativity, intellectual curiosity, the use of data, these are STEM skills, but they're skills which actually sit within all working domains these days. So if you want a job in the future or you want to create a job in the future, certainly the skills you're going to require will be STEM, but curiously, you're also going to need social and emotional skills. So it's the combination of those two. When I think about my work as as a teacher, in designing STEM lessons for students to explore real world solutions to problems, to work together, to ideate, to create, to hypothesize, to test solutions, as crazy as they might be. You know, like, can you design a better toilet roll? Um, Or can you design, you know, a, a small machine which could maybe find its way across a rocky surface on another planet, whatever the problem might be, What it demands of students in working together is it demands that they're they're engaged in this sort of cognitive process, this thinking process, managing their attention, working with others, generating ideas, tuning into the emotion of the groups around them, testing, proving, um, retesting, engaging in a scientific process. But STEM is this perfect environment where the social, emotional, interpersonal comes together with problem solving for the real world. And that's what's exciting about it.
0: Right, that's really intriguing that how you explain the entire concept of STEM and social and emotional learning. It's actually, I totally agree with the point, like you said, that in coming generation, we obviously need to learn the tech skills. But what like is mostly matching to people is that you know how you can incorporate STEM and you know how you can use the social and emotional learning and like how you talked about the five competencies about how we can be aware, we can have self-management, awareness, relationship skills and also decision-making matters a lot because that gives you a certain feeling that you can take your own decisions, that you're self-dependent. And you have the certain feeling that you can take your roles up forward and you're not dependent on anybody else to keep on asking that, may I do this or may I do that? You are certainly aware about what you're supposed to do. And I feel like how you gave the statistics about the mental health of the child was very fascinating to me.
1: Mm, Thank you for that. And and you just raised a really super point in that summary, uh, Namya, about, you know, the The voice, the choice, the agency that comes with well designed STEM. You know, well designed STEM lessons ignite curiosity, of course, but they also provide, we call it in teacher land, guided release. Essentially, they provide the learner with the opportunity to take progressive control of the learning, to become more self directed, to become more autonomous um, in there, essentially placing the learner in the driver's seat of the learning um and that's as a teacher that's exactly what you want because that's when you hear a classroom that's making this noise that's this noise of active discussion and active discovery
0: Right, like talking about the noise, I feel like uh, in many schools, like, if you're talking, sometimes teachers tell us to be quiet. But now it's quite different. Like they say, okay, you're getting more involved in the classes, because there's a lot of discussion happening. I think another thing is that we also have collaboration when we learn via STEM and social emotional learning skills.
1: Yeah, and collaboration is a great, you know, a great example. Often I say to people, you know, collaboration is more than sharing scissors or sharing pencils, you know, collaboration is making important decisions, substantive decisions, um, with others. Um, and obviously in order to collaborate on a STEM task, you need to be able to self-regulate, right? You need, if I'm in the group, I don't want to take over, or I don't want to be too passive, um, or I don't want to be unhelpful or I don't want to be hurtful. So I need to know what's going on in my own head and my own behaviors in order to collaborate. So to collaborate, I need to be socially aware and I also need to be self-aware and I also need to be able to regulate myself. That's that impulse control. We talk about it as executive functioning, but you know, just because I want to be the person speaking, doesn't mean I should be. I need to be able to self-regulate, watch what's happening with the others and understand. So quickly you can see that a STEM project that involves collaboration quickly becomes a very, very important domain for social and emotional skills to be put into action
0: right and i also feel like when we're working in a team we stretch to compromise our ideas and if something does not work and we experience failure and preserve something through challenging tasks it really helps us sometimes to reflect our emotions both times like in sorrow and joy and that um reminds us that self-awareness is very vital
1: yeah And, and again you raise a super point um In those situations, especially in those challenge situations where you're working on a project and everybody's excited, everybody's got great ideas and, you know, ultimately there is at times going to be a sense of maybe disappointment. There'll be pride, there'll be disappointment, there'll be frustration. You know, we've all been kids working in a group where that person has done nothing and we're frustrated or that person has dominated and we've kind of sat there going, isn't somebody going to do anything? (laughs) You know, the important piece there is that all emotions matter and they serve a purpose Um, and providing we can create the time and space and, as teachers, make sure we invite uh, the language of emotions and the opportunity to reflect upon the feelings that are attached to the work, then we can actually start to get even more out of the lesson, more than learning about the science, technology, engineering and maths components. What we're getting from it is the social and emotional dimension around, well, how do we navigate complexity and ambiguity and change and other people's emotions? And what can we learn from this? So as important in presenting the fantastic water rocket that's been built um, or the, the clever new mouse trap or the pneumatic door opening uh, to open a garage door that's been built by a group of kids, as important in the debrief is what were the feelings that were running through this? Let's do the emotion check-in. Let's find out what we can learn from it. Let's also then find out how we can collectively and individually try something different next time. If it wasn't working, not necessarily something better, but something different.
0: Right. There's something always to improve in the project that we're doing. And it's always not everything will goes right at one point because like if every innovation that you make, you need to experiment more to give out different ideas.
1: Yeah, I agree. And that, that, applies, that applies to our emotional learning as much as it does to our STEM learning too. So, you, again, you make a, a really good point. You know, we, we won't all be perfect. It's kind of like a beginner's mindset. You know, when you're learning something for the first time and you're clumsy and you're awkward and you're embarrassed and you're not sure whether you're going to be good enough, and it doesn't matter if that first time is riding a horse, um, drawing something or giving a presentation to a class. Um, by giving yourself permission to be a beginner and accept that those emotions of being a beginner are part of the learning process, then it kind of frees you up because life yeah. isn't about always about pass-fail. It's about, you know, improvement and learning. And the situation becomes not why did this happen to me, but it becomes, what did I learn from this?
0: Yes. Right. So there's a huge gender gap in the STEM field. Educators and developers seek their ways to engage more girls in STEM pursuits. So what can motivate girls to pursue STEM according to you?
1: Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a, a super question. and. There is a, an enormous gender gap. I, I, I think uh, I think I read a stat of only about 28% of women were represented in, uh, in, in STEM pathways. Um, motivation is a great question. It ties into social and emotional learning, right? because uh, motivation is why we do what we do. And think about this, emotion is the gatekeeper of motivation attention and cognition emotion is the gatekeeper of motivation so again this conversation is also about the social and emotional development in this case of girls to tie into what motivates them because you can't motivate somebody you can't do that they can mode be motivated by the situation around them. There was a study that Microsoft did um, a couple of years ago, 6,000 US girls in a study about STEM. um, And it was exploring why girls uh, lose interest in STEM. And a similar study was done in Europe um, as well with similar findings. And it was curious because despite a high priority that had been placed on STEM efforts to expand interest in computer science and STEM, it just didn't seem to be working so people have been doing things but it didn't seem to be working to motivate girls um, especially to move into pathways of technology and engineering um and yet as you know at the same time tech professionals you know the us bureau of labor in this case you know and it's similar across the globe noted those tech careers as being the highest growth in job numbers and also the best paid. So that's obviously an issue where there's a gender gap. It's also an issue for the broader technology engineering basically missing the perspective of 50% of the global population around these important um, important areas of, you know, AI and biomedical science. So there's this curiosity for the researchers on this paper that interest in STEM waned. It decreased as girls got older, particularly their confidence around coding and programming. So the researchers dug in to work out, well, what can be done in a sense to provide an environment where the girls feel motivated, as opposed to trying to motivate people. Um, And some of the findings were not surprising, were connecting STEM activities to proper real world problems, not invented problems, but real problems, real problems that people found in their community, in their school, in their home. You know, they've noted that you know a, a relative with a vision impairment struggled with their cane. So the challenge was to you know design and develop a, a sensor which would provide an auditory feed, whatever it might be. That there had to be problems, particularly for girls, that were real and, and connected to their world. So this ties back to passion and purpose. And when we start to bring passion and purpose into learning, motivation or motivating people doesn't become an issue because they just want to solve those problems. And we've got many examples where you see that happening. The other one, particularly for girls that came through all of the research was this importance to tap into the desire that the the girls had to both create and be creative. Um, so a lot of uh, the perception of the six thousand girls in the study was that STEM and STEM-related activities were largely about non-creative. They were, you know, and I don't mean creative as in making things. I mean creative as in creative problem-solving with opportunities to come up with great, interesting ideas. They they saw it as being uh, boring. Um, And it didn't appeal to them. So tapping into the desire, because when they ask the girls, what do you want more of? I want to be more creative. I want to be invited to create and be creative. I want to solve problems that are important. So the other one was just this whole piece around encouragement, um, like encouragement of girls to persist and pursue in STEM related activities, both at home but also at school. So the home piece was came through the research really, really strongly. What mum, what dad, what significant other adults in the young girls' lives do and say, and the attitude they carry about STEM activities makes a huge difference around whether the girls stick with it or drop it, which I thought was interesting.
0: Right, that's really significant how you've shared the stories, and I also wanted to share something that I I felt that in society, the STEM field has actually become male dominating. Now that's not because the male are using those fields, but we think. Uh, very less girls coming up to take opportunities like we have to grab the opportunities but they're not willing to do it because they see always like i saw one of the competition by microsoft um that was the junior imagine cup Mm -hmm. so all of them were boys who were participating and the one-to-one now here I'm not criticizing, but I'm just trying to explain mm. that we see very less girls coming up in these fields. So here's when we need motivation for the girls to come forward yeah. and to understand that they need to come forward. Like you said, that they want to create solutions to the problems and create something with creativity. And they have lots of beautiful ideas, but what they need is just a little bit spark of motivation yeah. and that helps them to come forward.
1: I love how you put that, you know, it's, it's certainly true that potential is equally distributed and opportunity is not so what we're talking here about is ensuring that girls have the opportunity to be supported when you look at why in the research across Europe and the US you know why was it that the girls started to wane the interest declined and you've touched on it just then so you should have been the researcher one was around peer pressure and we know that peer pressure is significant for both boys and girls but particularly girls so what their what other girls do say and think is important to them and that's also the girls outside their immediate world so the young women and females that they see the role models whether they're in media whether it's in a competition that a great example that, that you presented there, but where they can see themselves reflected culturally by gender and by age makes a difference. You know, when you can see yourself basically getting, you know, an award for a computer science thing, when you can see somebody who looks just like you doing something that's inspiring, then you go, I could do that too. So peer pressure was a barrier for girls number two was a lack of role models so they many girls just simply could not see themselves or women in the roles number three was the the kind of the lack of support at times of parents and also teachers either intentionally or just unintentionally not recognizing as you said There just needs to be this extra sparkle, like bring your A-game. And a really big one, number four, was about misperception. So it was the girls' understanding of what STEM and non-STEM careers looked like. And in the non-STEM careers, they still contain a huge amount of STEM skills are required. Um, So the girls themselves had not been presented with this full range of amazing occupations that STEM skills can unlock for them. So the the research came up with some recommendations. Number one was provide um, teachers with more engaging and relatable and hands-on ideas for STEM teaching. So by relatable, real world. So not textbook stuff, but real kinds of activities that were engaging, that engaged the full senses so that you know, the girls would had said that that's the kind of learning that they enjoy. It's the you know the making, creating, um, it's the building, the problem solving, it's the real world. Um, they love that. Mentors really important. Finding girls mentors they can relate to role models. In fact, with a mentor or a role model they identify, those girls that have those are twice as likely to remain in a STEM or STEM related pathway, twice as likely is the impact of that. A really important one, and I think you've touched on this Namya, is that inclusive classroom. It's a tricky one, you know, as a teacher and you've got 30 kids and you're organizing these lessons, you've got to be on your game to ensure that the efforts and the achievements of the girls, particularly around science, technology, engineering and maths, are identified and they're celebrated in ways that don't embarrass or shame the girls, but show them that you see their efforts and they matter. They need to be gently encouraged consistently to stick with STEM Um, and on the sticking bit, there's this great quote from Reshma is her name. She's the CEO and co-founder of Girls Who Code Yeah, And her piece of advice, which is from one of those research papers, um, was we need to teach girls to be imperfect. So she was talking at this kind of broad cultural shift, the way that we approach education, particularly to support girls, is to kind of deconstruct this idea that you need to be right, that it needs to be neat and you need to be quiet and it needs to be done. And you need to be perfect. And if it's not, start again. She challenges that to say that to be successful in STEM, you've got to ideate, you've got to design, redesign, test that hypothesis, pull it apart, start again, get dirty, get grubby, you know, stand up, speak up, um, build things, make things, love it, enjoy it, laugh about yes. it. Um, so, yeah.
0: Yeah, because actually that reminds me when we treat all both the genders equally. I mean, like when we're telling girls to be neat and telling boys, okay, you can improve, it's fine. But if you say to both, do whatever you like, you can do it the way you like it. I think that's when they both feel equal and the girls start feeling that we're getting treated equally and not the way that we have high expectations or we have low expectations yeah. for people.
1: Good point. You're right. When we, when we start to generate Uh, those more inclusive classroom practices, actually, everybody benefits. But with some of those shifts, particularly the girls, sometimes in order to address an imbalance, you need to treat people a little bit unequally to address an imbalance. Um, And I think this is what we see in this STEM area, uh, where there are particular, you know, there is a disparity between the gender in employment landscape, in the skills, and also in the interest in this really important area. It's in all of our interest. It's in everybody's best interest to have girls interested in STEM because, you know, when somebody is designing a, I don't know, a biomedical solution built around AI, um, that's going to address. Let I'll pick a crazy example. It's going to ad- address precancerous breast screening in um, parts of Rwanda or whatever it might be. You know, do I want a bunch of only white middle-aged men who live in New Zealand building that? Will they really understand the the full? impact of their solution? Or do I want to have a team working on it who are representative of a whole range of different kinds of sort of people across the globe, um, who have different perspectives, different gender orientations, who might come to the, the problem with different perspectives. And I think that's where it's exciting. I like to say this, that sure, smart people could build a smart rocket, and send smart people to live on Mars in a smart habitat. It's going to be a really, really, really long two years if they don't get along with one another.
0: Right. So my next question coming up for you, Mr. Mark, is that how can technology support educators in building a classroom environment that uh, recognises the whole student?
1: Yeah. Okay, that's a, a, a great question. Um, so by a whole student tied to the rest of this conversation, you know, what we're really talking about is teaching beyond the fundamentals, teaching beyond the basics. Um, So, you know, we know that we want young people to be curious, creative, empathetic. Um, We also want them to be confident. So that's a lot more than being able to read and write and do maths. We know that we want young people to, to grow up in our school system, in a healthy, safe, engaged, and also a challenging environment. You know, part of learning is pressure. So, pressure and support. So, whole student really refers to that complete picture of development. You know, so when we talk about as when you're training to be a teacher and you're doing child development, you recognize that, sure, it's literacy and language that's important. It's also cognition, what how you think and organize your thoughts and general knowledge. you know, well, I know the world is round, that's uh, a sphere, that's handy. Um, but it's also about attitudes to learning and it, like we've talked about before, having a growth mindset, accepting a beginner's mindset. So it's about your attitude as well. It's also about your physical well-being. It's about developing those gross motor skills. you know I can run and jump but those fine motor skills I can sew, you know, and I can code or, or play mine in uh, my Xbox. Um, and then it's the social and emotional. So when we talk about whole child and whole child approaches, they're the approaches which pay attention to all of those things I listed, not just can we teach the curriculum, you know, can we, can we get stuff uh, get stuff out? So in relation to technology, where it's really powerful is where it connects to all of those pieces that were just mentioned, right? So if you think about um, playing mindful night in Minecraft, okay, well, medieval world designed to teach mindfulness practice, self-reflection, um, you know, self-social um, awareness, responsible decision-making through mindful activities. There's this interesting example, right, like of, When you think about those whole child approaches um, of social and emotional, you think about cognition, general knowledge, you think about what's happening with literacy, learning, and language, it's created this whole environment that brings all of those pieces. So that's, that's a piece, I guess, an example of an activity. The other thing that's important for people like me as an educator is the information I get. So in the old days, you know, we collected information probably on paper and in, well, I did on paper about students and it was really about what they they knew. And then a little bit later on, I started to collect a lot of information about the skills they had. So not just what you know, but what you do. And then I found towards, before I, I left teaching, I was collecting a lot of information about how they feel. And I was starting to realise that there was this curious Connection between how students felt and what they knew and their skill development. So we see that in technology now. So an example would be in in Microsoft Teams, we've released um, a feature called Reflect, which I've yeah. been a part of for three years, um, and really excited that it's out there now. And what Reflect does is it collects student self-reported well-being information. But what's cool is it adds it to the other information that a teacher can view or a principal. So the other information is like a heartbeat of is the student submitting assignments? What's their grade? You know, are they attending school? Blah, 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 blah. All of that kind of stuff that's important. Now you've got a heartbeat of self-reported well-being from the student. How am I feeling about the week? How am I feeling about this assignment? How am I feeling about my progress? How am I feeling about the importance of the work that I do? And, and if you think about what we asked before with girls and STEM and one of the things was they, they felt that it didn't have a purpose, that it didn't connect to the real world. So asking kids, especially girls, the question around, how do you feel about the importance of this topic to you? You know, does this, does this matter? You know, what do you think? So tools like Reflect, can gather all of that information and give teachers the kinds of insights that they need at times to make a change to learning design.
0: Right, I checked that app out and I I totally agree that it helps us actually check the mood of the child and also it gives um, a hand to the teacher as well to check what is happening in the class and how engaged engaged the students in the classes. So I had this question for you that if you were a teenager again and uh, what would you do to make tomorrow more explorative?
1: Oh, more explorative, interesting. Um I guess I, I you know I would think why do I want to, why would I want to do that in the first place, make learning more explorative because I always like to start with a big why. Um and and I certainly do. You know, learning is this process of constructing and deconstructing knowledge, knowledge and developing skills that have purpose, right? That's, that's to me, what learning is. Um, so, the you know, students aren't empty vessels waiting to be filled with knowledge and skills by their teacher. You know, if, if you like it from a, a kind of a, a metaphor, you know, they're like candles that are waiting to yeah. be lit. So, you know, then they can burn brightly by themselves. So, approaches to give students greater control, to be more explorative in their learning, to seek and construct answers, even if they may not be right the first time, to give them the tools and the skills to test ideas, to prove their accuracy and correctness. Those things give students, and you talked about it right at the start, those things give students a sense of control, gives them a sense of control over themselves and their learning, um, and it builds what we call efficacy which is the confidence that you have that you can manage, that you can do well. And there was a huge piece of research done by a guy called John Hattie. And he looked at all of the things that improve learning. Apparently 286 things improve learning, but five things improve learning more, more vastly, more than any of the others. Number four was student efficacy. The belief that students have that they can do well. So, we know from research that we've done, the class of 2030 and life ready learning, students want autonomy. You know, they want to be, as I said before, in the driver's seat of their learning. They don't want it to be dumped on them. And they certainly don't want to be stuck in front of a computer teaching them. So the kids said, and this included uh, India, uh, Singapore, Australia, UK, Canada, and the US, the kids said, we want or we don't want automation. our learning but we do want autonomy Um, and I think that strikes to the heart of your question around um, you know how do we make it more explorative in a short way you need to be more invitational and less instructional if you're a teacher so invitational invites the whole child their knowledge their skills their motivation their emotion their aspirations, their full self into the learning. So instruction isn't bad, but we need to be more invitational and less instructional.
0: All right. I totally agree with that. So uh, before we sign off, I would like to ask you that, where can we find you online?
1: Yeah, uh, the best place is my Twitter handle, which is, oops, my finger's going the wrong way. There we go. Yes, My Twitter handle at is probably the best place to track me down. I'm constantly... Tweeting out um, research insights, best practice, next practice um, as it relates to education.
0: Sure, and uh, can I, if I have your, um, uh, can I show some of the comments that I have I received in the chat?
1: Of course, yeah, that's great. Thank you for okay, being so, are live?
0: Yes, so we have uh, Dr. Brand Sanders joining us. Thank you, sir, for joining. Uh, we have Riyadh from the Clippers, thank you so much for joining. Uh, we have Mr. Deepak Bhange. We have Ms. Geeta Adwa, thank you so much for joining, ma'am. And um, we have my principal, Mr. Bupinda Gogya, thank you so much for joining, ma'am. And we have uh, my beloved Ashima Akarbanda, ma'am, thank you so much for joining. And we also have Mrs, uh, Ms. Gurpreet Kaur, thank you so much for joining. We have lovely message for you, sir.
1: That's nice. That's lovely to, to see that feedback. And, and for everybody, students, grown ups, everyone in between, you know, receiving feedback is one of the ways that we learn and grow. So I appreciate those comments.
0: Yes, sir. And finally, before we sign up, we would love to have a message from you for the audience.
1: Mm, okay, wow, that's a great opportunity. And, and number one, thank you, Namyo. This has been a, a fiercely interesting um, uh, podcast interview. I really enjoyed it. Um, okay, I think um, I think my, my message would just be about technology here broadly. Uh, the greatest potential that technology has, um, isn't to digitise curriculum content. That's not its greatest potential. The greatest potential it has is to humanise learning. And this strikes to the question Namya asked around the whole child. So the greatest potential technology has for us as teachers is to help us humanise learning so that learners feel more confident, more calm, more creative and more connected.
0: Right, that's a, such a wonderful message for us, sir. And I must say that thank you so much for your valuable time that you gave us and share your insights. And I'm sure that we all learned a lot, and especially me, I learned a lot about the researchers and different insights that you gave us about how we can use social and emotional learning with STEM and also empower girls to come forward. And once again, thank you so much, everybody, for joining. And thank you, sir.
1: My pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you, everybody, and I'll see you on the next episode. Till then, each one teach 10. Have a nice day.